0: Today, I'm joined by Tracy Luckett, who is the chief nurse at GOSH, who's going to be talking to me a bit about her career and how she got involved with leadership. So firstly, thank you so much for joining me today, Tracy. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Could you start just by telling me the story of your career so far? Yes, of course. So obviously a registered nurse by background. I'm actually from North Wales. I trained in
1: North Wales. And after qualifying, I moved to work in Southend, I've worked in Birmingham, I've worked in Bournemouth and I've worked in Doncaster. So I've moved around the country and I really did choose to initially work in women's health. So I had quite a few jobs in quite rapid succession, moving up the career ladder as a clinical nurse and then settled down in London. Um, a few years ago, I became a ward sister on a women's health stroke surgical wards. And during that time, I was also a continued with postgraduate study. So I obtained my master's degree in nursing leadership at City University here in London. And then, whilst I've stayed in London, I've developed into more leadership, nursing leadership roles. So, as a head of nursing, as an assistant director of nursing, as a deputy director of nursing, and as a chief nurse. And obviously joined this organisation in February 2022.
0: When did you first become interested in taking on a leadership role? What was it that prompted you to go and get that formal qualification in leadership? Was it any one thing, or was it just a kind of gradual building interest over the years? I think it's
1: a gradual interest. I mean, as a ward manager, as ward sister, as I was called then. And it's one of my most exciting and most rewarding roles in leadership because you have clinical leadership, because you are in charge as a clinician, in charge of your own ward, your ward area, your, your clinical environment, but you also have a team of nurses that you lead. So I think really from that role onwards, I decided that perhaps some of my strengths were certainly around nurturing, developing the leaders of the future, the clinical leaders of the future. And I think, yes, it was probably in my nursing ward sister's role that I really felt that actually this is the route in my nursing leadership career I want to follow. Because I think at that point as a ward manager, ward sister, you can possibly go into developing more into a clinical Root, which has elements of leadership, of course it does. But I was really keen to go into more of a corporate leadership role. And then from there, really, I suppose it's working with fantastic leaders, role models, and just going from strength to strength.
0: And how did you end up in your current role as chief nurse at GOSH? Prior to joining GOSH, I was the chief nurse at Morpheus Eye Hospital, which is in the
1: sector, which is in the north central London sector. And I was aware of the great work that Great Ormond Street does and continues to do and aspires to do more of. So I'd had experience of working closely with my predecessor, Alison, the chief nurse here at GOSH, And I'd also had experience of working with children and young people in my previous role at the Homerton Hospital in East London, where one of my roles was actually head of nursing for children and women's health. I supported the head of nursing for children's services there and the adult services. So I'd already had experience and think that, you know, Great Ormond Street is a world leader. Fantastic people work in this fantastic place. And I felt that I had the right skill set and the right experience, leadership experience, to come in and work with the team here and continue the moving it forward at, you know, in the right direction, nursing leadership.
0: And moving on to your job now as chief nurse, what does a typical day look like for you? So it's probably an absolutely not a
1: typical day, but much of what I do probably is quite routine. So I'm up early. I'm on the half six train from Kent every morning and I manage to get a seat at the table. So very often I start, and I shouldn't be promoting this, but I do look at my emails. It's a good start to the day. Look at my diary, any outstanding emails from the day before that I probably need to get back to early. So I will do that. I get into work about quarter to eight every morning. Again, having that first hour to review emails, just catch up with individuals if there's anything urgent pressing. A lot of my work is actually emails and meetings, and I wish I could do less of it. But my role as a leader is to make sure that I use the phrase that, you know, I can unblock certain blockages, and I used to have to use my influence as a senior leader to do that. So I'll have meetings about elements of my portfolio. So it could be infection control to education, to patient experience. Then I have one-to-ones with those that I directly manage or those that I professionally manage like the heads of nursing. It's really important that nursing has a voice at the table here. So there will be meetings that I will need to attend to represent nursing, but also there's meetings that I need to attend to represent the trust board and my place as an executive on the trust board. I finish around about 6 o'clock every day and then I get home and relax.
0: Yeah, very important to have time to relax at the end of a busy day like that. What do you enjoy most about your current job? Is there anything that you don't enjoy?
1: So what I enjoy is working with fantastic people who all want the best children, young people, and that have a vision, which is absolutely critical. I like working with can-do people that are very solution-focused, but enjoy coming to work and are like-minded like me. And there's lots of those people that work here at the Trust. I see my role as influencing the organisation, either in a nursing leadership role or as in a Trust Director role, to make the experience of healthcare better for children and people. And, you know, I talked about unblocking the blockages. And, you know, if I can unblock one blockage per week, you know, I'd like to do more, but that's what, you know, I aspire to. It's allowing people to flourish, allowing people to develop themselves for the greater good of making the right decisions for this organization. I suppose what I find frustrating or what I don't like, I don't come to work thinking, gosh, I hate this part of my role. But I suppose having time to think. Reflect and then implement often you can get completely embroiled in meetings, yeah, lots and lots of meetings, and sometimes we need that thinking time, and also not having enough time to go out and about. so I have tried since I've been here to go out, I've done night shift, I've done the weekend shift, I do pop onto the wards. And I'm doing a night shift in theatre at the end of the month, but it's still not enough time. So I think that's the bit that sometimes I get completely consumed with emails and meetings and I'd like to do less events, spend more time with people.
0: So do you still do any clinical work when you do the shifts, like in theatre and the night shift? Do they? Is that clinical or is that more a kind of shadowing situation?
1: No, I don't. I mean, my role really is a leader. So, of course, I'm a clinician by background, but I observe, I work shadow and I, you know, can advise not on the clinical care, but certainly on the leadership elements of the clinical care. Do you miss clinical work? I do. So I will always say my best job, even though, you know, I love it here. My best job really was when I was a ward sister, as I said to you previously, because you've got leadership. And you've got clinical, providing clinical care to the people that really need it. So I do miss it. That's not to say I may not, you know, watch this space. I may go back to it.
0: Sure. So I guess that's something that I wanted to come on to. So when you were a ward sister, your leadership role was very much alongside your clinical role. When you had those two roles together, did you see it as being the same role? Or did you compartmentalize it and see it as having two separate roles, the clinical role and the leadership?
1: No, I didn't see it separate at all. I think it's a, a, the ward manager's post is really unique because you have clinical leadership. So you are leading a shift. And, you know, now we have obviously ward managers should be, not always, but they should be supernumery. So because you're providing clinical leadership on a shift. So you are instructing and supporting clinical nurses in clinical practice. So very quickly, that can move into leadership conversations about the general leadership role within a shift. So, for example, you can be having a one-to-one clinical leadership conversation as a bedside because you're instructing a junior nurse to perform a task as such, an intervention with a patient. So that's your clinical expertise and your competence. But then within the next hour, you could be holding a leadership meeting on your ward with your leadership team, your nursing team, talking about leadership development. I felt perhaps the most rounded in a leadership stroke clinical role when I was a ward sister. And there'd be days when I would have separate leadership ring fence time. That's when you'd have the appraisals and you know development conversations with your team.
0: Are there are quite a lot of similarities in terms of clinical nursing and management or leadership in terms of the skills that are involved or you know the ways you have to respond to emergencies or crises do you find yourself using some of those skills a lot even now without a doubt so you know when you are a when you're a clinician on
1: a ward whether you're a ward manager or a nurse in charge of a shift you have to assert authority the right time and in the right space especially if you have emergencies you have to coordinate you have to listen to differences of opinion whether that's between two clinicians, a patient, a family member, you have to show empathy, you have to show strategic thinking and be solution focused, whether that's dealing with a clinical problem or a leadership problem. When you are a more junior nurse and you are in charge of a specific shift, you will have a team working to you because you are in charge of that shift. And you will be displaying leadership. You will be directing those junior staff on that particular shift. You will allocate the workload. You will allocate breaks. You will direct them into clinical interventions. And you can apply that to a leadership management role as well.
0: So in a sense, you're saying that actually leadership is pretty universal amongst all levels of nursing. It's not that you reach a certain level and you're then a leader. Actually, you have the opportunity to demonstrate leadership and develop those skills at any stage of your nursing career. Yeah, I've got a lot to say on
1: this actually. So, you don't have to be in a senior position to be a leader. It helps influence and it helps shape decisions if you are in a senior position, but you do not have to be in a senior position to be a leader. So, I think that there's leadership potential in all of us, but some you can see a more natural talent to develop their leadership skills. And it is a development journey. If I look back at all of my career, if you'd have asked me 20 plus years ago, would I be top of the tree in organisation, clinical leader? I'd have probably said, oh, I can never do that. But there was something about me that recognised that I perhaps had behaviours that I could develop into a leadership role. And what's so important is others see that in you too. And I think for me, that was definitely part of my leadership journey, that during my leadership journey along the way, there were individuals that significantly influenced my career because they identified elements of leadership quality in me very early on in my career. And then you need those individuals to nurture you and develop you to get to where you want to get to.
0: So that's a really interesting point. And I'm going to come back to what those qualities might be that those role models saw in you in a bit. I just had one further question going back to your clinical role. And that was, has there ever been conflict between your role as a leader and your clinical role? And if so, can you give an example of such an occasion or perhaps a time when priorities were different?
1: Yeah, so I think it's sometimes when you're in a more junior clinical role, it's all about the patients because you're living and breathing, you build a relationship with the patient and that's great and that's what you should do. And even in senior leadership roles it should be all about the patient too. But I think there's times when as a more senior leader, notwithstanding that you're still a clinician, I'm still a registered nurse, there are difficult decisions that you have to make for the greater good of an organization. An example I'm going to use is quite a historical example. So in a trust where I had been a more of a clinical on the shop floor leader, we had to make a decision about providing care to an individual that wasn't entitled to care in the system, was an overseas patient coming in. And we ended up having a conversation as a senior leadership team about should we treat, should we offer this individual who needed treatment, but was an overseas patient, whether we should give them the treatment they needed. And it was for not life-preserving care, but it was semi-acute, semi-high sort of high priority intervention, surgical intervention. And the clinicians who were treating this individual were clear because they were dealing with this lady day in, day out, that we have to for the greater good of this individual's care in the sensitivities around it just about being human beings that we should offer this care to the individual but the trust so it wasn't this trust to be very clear it's going back years and years and years said that actually well we will be breaching the overseas guidance and if we do it for this individual then we have to do it for everyone else because we set a precedent. and whilst we do have a duty of care to treat this individual for anything that was an emergency or life-threatening or acute, on this occasion, we'd have to not offer the treatment. And it was really difficult for me because I had to see, I had to make this decision based on the greater good of the organisation and the greater good of setting a precedence and the financial aspects of the organisation versus a patient that needed care and did need treatment. And that's a very historical example, but I always, you know, I remember as if it was yesterday because I went home that night and thought, gosh, you know, I have proactively suggested or agreed as a leader in an organisation that we can't treat this patient because they're not entitled to NHS care. And that goes against the fundamental principles of being a nurse and having a duty of care and you know our standards our code of conduct that we work within so yeah that's one example I've got lots but yeah that that's probably one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make so it probably that's why it sits with me still
0: yeah that sounds really really challenging how have you how did you deal with that or I mean if it still sits with you how do you deal with that kind of decision
1: Yeah, well I think, you know, that that was the initial decision. And what was really important is what happened after that. So it just wasn't a case, all I'm so sorry we can't treat you. And we're going to send you back home and you may possibly die in in the future. What we did do is we put some wraparound supports and we signposted the lady and her family to other options. And eventually the lady did get the treatment at another organization and there was a process around overseas mutual agreement. But You know, the initial conversations, because the lady had paid at our A&E department first, is that we had to make that decision quite quickly. So I I suppose that I was able to process it. But I think for me, it was still that awful decision saying, well, actually, I really want to be able, as a nurse, I want you to be treated because I know that you've been pain and best the outcome for you would be to have treatment. But... We can't because of the greater good of the organisation and the processes and the bureaucracy of treating overseas patients.
0: Yeah, thank you for that, that example. Moving on now to your leadership qualities, you said that you think that there were some that you had that were potentially identified, which is what prompted you to take on a leadership role. Though, what do you think those qualities are? How would you describe your leadership style? So I'm going to perhaps use the
1: qualities really first. So I'm quite humble. There's no airs and graces with me. And I think sometimes, that. well, I know that. I think that really helps in a leadership role because you should, you know, a good leader should be able to relate to anyone. So I am humble. I'm very reflective. It's a double-edged sword being reflective, isn't it? Because sometimes if you're too reflective, you think, oh gosh, you know, when are we going to get things done? But I think you have to be reflective. You have to listen and listen is, is an art. So not appear to listen but really listen and demonstrate that you're listening. And that can be difficult to do. I think you have to be, take a balanced view and not jump to conclusions. Try and lead outside of your comfort zone and put yourself into others' shoes. And I do say that a lot in this role, actually. Often we're not good at as leaders putting ourselves in the shoes of others, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a family member or a patient. And I really try and do that. I think it's about the moral compass. I'm making myself sound like I should have a halo on me, but there's something about having a moral compass as well. So that's all very nice, isn't it? That sounds really nice. I think that You've also got to be firm as well, but fair and be consistent. And, you know, do I do that all of the time? Oh, gosh, no, I I absolutely don't. There's times when I know that I have delivered a message which hasn't landed well. You know, I've not included individuals when I should have included. You know, I've perhaps been sharp with them or short with them. But I think it's recognizing that and taking that feedback and doing something about it. So, yeah, I think it's been really humble. And I also say that, you know, good leaders, they don't try and be, they don't try to be anyone else. And some of my team know that I say, always be the original because an original is worth more than a copy. So, it's been humble and having humility. It's not, you know, you can have all the degrees in the world, you can be competent, you have to be all of that. Let's be honest. I'm not saying it's all very you know very transformational all of that is quite transformational you have to have some transactional traits too but generally really it's just being a bit humble and listening to people
0: and do you see a difference between being a good leader and a good manager
1: i think there's overlap so for all of what I've just said about being humble and reflective, which is all lovely to be, you have to be tough as well as a leader. So, you know, I just want to make sure that I explain myself. So leaders have to make difficult choices. And often leaders have to be the person in the room that makes that difficult choice. Um, and not not always a popular choice. So that's about leading by example and making the difficult decisions. I think that overlaps with management because management is more transactional and managers tend to work in more of a process-based approach because that's what management's all about. But I do think you overlap. I think that leadership is also about management of particular situations, whether it be individuals or systems. So I do think it overlaps. A leadership role can have more charisma and more gravitas and you don't. Know, I will be the first to say I need both of those, more of them both. But there is something about management. It's more process-based, I think. But there's a lot of it that overlaps.
0: Why is good leadership and management important at GOSH? Well, if you put the
1: child, young person, family right in the centre of this, good leadership should have a positive impact on what we do. So, for example, whether it's people, if you have a good leader who can inspire people that can motivate people, then people will do a better job. And they provide better care and they look forward to coming in and they're better human beings. Okay. They they look forward to coming into work. So when they go on to awards or any clinical area, they provide better care. So empowering individuals, nurturing individuals, listening to individuals as a leader will ultimately improve patient care. I think good leaders also make those tough decisions around system-based approaches to care. So whether it's about influencing what services we run here, what we don't run here, what we pay for, what we don't pay for, what's the workforce like to deliver a certain aspect of service, what should it be like, do we have too many, do we have too few? What's the strategic thinking? That's all about leadership. And good strategic thinking gets you to a point of better patient care because you're providing a strategy for an organisation, which ultimately the goal is to provide care to children, young people, both regionally, nationally and overseas. So, yeah, that's, I think it's critical. But also, just to add one leadership and the difficult decisions It's important that also we deal with difficult decisions, whether that's a difficult decision to stop or start services or a difficult decision to support staff who perhaps are not always providing that excellent care to either turn it around or think about what else they can do. So it's a bit leadership, but parts of leadership is performance management. And again, that has an impact on the people that we look after.
0: And what are you doing, or not necessarily you, but you within your role as a trust doing to encourage leaders of the future? So
1: succession planning is really important. Visibility is really important so people can see me, see what I'm like, good and bad and indifferent. Meet with individuals, talk about their career aspirations, identify the leadership from within those individuals, because it's important that you get to know people, that you don't lead from afar, that you hold people close to you and have the ability and the time and the space to identify good leaders and then think about what they need to get them to the next point in their career. It's allowing people to make mistakes. This is an interesting one. I always really firmly believe in this. That every Every day that I come into my office here, there will be something that I do, which is probably not the best way of doing it. But the importance is that you have a space that feels comfortable to make those mistakes and you can learn from it. And I think that, you know, I like to think that I do that for my team. Obviously, some mistakes need to be rectified and we have to learn from that. But generally, it's allowing people to develop themselves, to nurture as an individual make mistakes, but have that safety net there for them to get themselves up and do it again from the learning that they've achieved from their last mistake. So it's allowing people to be themselves, identifying leaders of the future, having those honest one-to-one conversations and putting them on the path for future development.
0: You mentioned right at the start of this conversation that there were a number of role models within your life who had particularly inspired you throughout your career. Can you give some examples of these role models?
1: Yeah. So I do want to talk about my role model what does not in my career, and that's Queen Elizabeth I. Because mm-hmm. if I may mention it, in her time, which was, she reigned from 1558 to 1603, she was a woman in a very male-dominated world. And she made some really difficult decisions, not just for England, but for the world. And she really led with a rod of iron, which isn't always the best way to lead. I recognise that. But, you know, she was strong. She was consistent, although I never met her, of course, Emma. But, you know, what you read about her, not the dramatised versions, but what you read about her, she really did take England while she was reigning from strength to strength. So that's someone I always think aspire to, Elizabeth I.
0: Is that why you have red hair? Ah, that's it. Well done. And you know
1: what? These are my own teeth, but probably I need wooden teeth. (laughs) Yeah, so that's why I have red hair. So yeah, so Elizabeth, you know, male-dominated world really was a strong leader. And she's, you know, she's the Elizabethan area. The first Elizabethan area, you know, goes down in history as a very plurific, prolific, can't say prolific strengthening of this country by her. So yes, by her leadership. So but coming to present time, so yes, so when I was on Ward sister, I had a leader who was always very honest, always very consistent, but always very supportive. So if you made a mistake, would tell you, but would talk you through your mistake and would offer solutions to learn from that and was consistent. So we'll do that consistently night and day, weeks, weekends, and, you know, was my boss for about four years. So, you know, that's where I talk about the consistency and the safety net. I think another role model wouldn't necessarily be a nurse, but it's a previous or another previous manager of mine who, again, it's about the consistency, was professional, did not dress down or berate individuals in public, but would have that conversation with you behind closed doors, but wouldn't make example of you in public, wouldn't belittle you in meetings. And this was a very senior individual in an organisation. And again, you know, it's about the consistency. It's about nurturing. It's about the safety net. I'm not going to name them, it's still around, but yeah.
0: That's fair enough. And just finally, what advice would you give to listeners of this podcast who may be thinking of becoming more involved in leadership within their area or within the trust?
1: So I would say, first of all, believe in yourself. I would say that if you're already thinking about it, it means that you, there's something inherent in you that will lead you into a leadership role because you've got to be passionate about leadership. You've got to want to spend time nurturing developing feeding back to individuals and you know it can be quite intense be the original don't pretend to be a leader don't don't be a copy there's all sorts of fantastic leadership programs out there now so there's nye bevan there's florence nightingale that's just two there's the king's fund that do fantastic stuff we Great Ormond Street offers some fantastic leadership programs here. There's so much either in the GLA or the HR and OD space. So, you know, speak to your line manager if it's something that you really want to do. I would say get yourself a mentor, stroke coach, because I've had a coach for virtually all of my nursing career and it's been invaluable. And leadership's an interesting one because you'll not change the world with everyone but if you can make a difference to one colleague or one patient or one family member's life or outlook then it's well worth it
0: definitely that's been brilliant thank you so much for your time Um, have a good rest of your afternoon bye-bye bye-bye